I've always been interested in, uh, you know, in business, like from a very young age. I was that kid at like 50, 14, 15, 16 years old, was watching Bloomberg and, you know, CNBC. And um, in, in, in Zimbabwe, where I'm from, we had a newspaper called the Financial Gazette. And in the library at school, when I was in high school, they used to have newspapers. Right, so your daily newspapers, etc. And I was that kid who used to go and read, you know, the copies of the financial newspapers that were there because I was a boarder, right? I, I went to boarding school, so I couldn't go to the shops and get it. There was no internet back in those days, so that's where you know the love, you know, sort of began. So. I just want to also now get into, you know, business uh, in this country uh, in, uh, in the time of COVID-19. Uh, I was and I was reading a few articles, you know, you, you had written. Um, and, and, and I just wanted to find out, you know, what is the, we all know the devastating impact. We all know about the job losses. We all know about the economy taking a knock and the businesses affected which industries um from your knowledge you know are going to be taking a huge knock um post this virus and currently at the moment i think i'll i'll answer that question in two ways the first one is um on the one hand you have to think about what the lockdown has actually meant right you because that's what they teach you to do in economics is to literally think about what's going on every day and then extrapolate what it then means for the economy and business. Because if people aren't moving around, then it automatically means that your transport industry is affected, your personal transport industry. Logistics has done very well. Actual logistics companies have done very well because they're moving around PPE, they're moving around essential goods. Right, so that part of the transport sector is 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 good, but personal transport, uh, buses, coaches, airlines, it's late at the moment, you know, for them. Even even ride hailing sites like your Uber, right, have taken a hit in the last two months. That's one. Two is uh, obviously tourism, and I think that one is uh, is a very is a very it's a very tough one because they contribute so much to the country's GDP. And there's so many ancillary industries that feed into that, you know, airlines, hotels, tourism shops, guides, curos, um, catering companies, um, cleaning companies. There are all of these mini economies that thrive off of, um, you know, tourism. 
But at the same time, you also have to think about um, what, uh, when I said the second part is about the consumer, right? You can be in a business that hasn't been shut down, that has been allowed to continue going. But if your consumer has lost his or her job and has less disposable income, they're not coming to shop for your stuff, mm-hmm. right? So your luxury goods and stuff like that, I think those are in the retail sector. It's a tough one at the moment, you know. Yeah, sure, there'll be all those people that couldn't shop on take a lot and whatnot during the lockdown that now feel itchy and want to shop online, right? But that's a relatively small part of the the actual population. So some of those high-end goods, uh, because everyone, including companies, is trying to conserve cash, right? So you're trying to save your money. You're trying to make sure your bills are paid. So your luxury goods, it's a tough one. The other one is, um, I'm trying to think of it off the top of my head. The other one is the alcohol industry. And that one for me is a, is a, two, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tale of sort of two cities, mm-hmm. right? Because on the one hand, alcohol sales um, have been banned for the last two months. Even SARS talking about the fact that in terms of syntaxes for alcohol and um, cigarettes, they're likely going to lose about three to 400 billion rand, you know, in possible taxes. Because, um, because those syntaxes on alcohol and cigarettes give them so much money, right? And when you just ban it, Full stop. It means that you're not reducing the amount of revenue. You've just cut it like it's cut, right? But I say it's a tale of two cities because on the one hand, some of the bigger alcohol producers were able to shift their production from beverages to pure alcohol for sanitizers and stuff like that. So there was an opportunity. They were able to stay in production. People were able to keep their jobs and they were able to change their production line just to pump out alcohol for, you know, the, for sanitizing. So that's why I said that industry, it was, it was a good and a bad. And there have been a couple of, you know, companies I've heard that were able to take advantage of uh, the situation like that. And speaking about business, you know, um, we, 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 you know, we know that South Africa's economy is, uh, you know, largely made out of small businesses. And already there's been like, you know, you know, there's a struggle in terms of uh, the success that they get, support from government, et cetera, et cetera. They're already uh, a vulnerable, you know, industry in the, in the business um, um, market of the country. And with this virus, like, what does it mean? I mean, how do, how, how do businesses survive? Do they have to now readapt and reinvent themselves? How do they make it out of the situation or just survive so that they don't close? Because a lot of people are dependent on these little businesses that are all over the show. Okay, this is where I think the, the real tenets of capitalism come to the fore. Because, once again, I think small businesses, they exist the way that I just described um, your alcohol companies. And the reason I'm saying that is because 
um, I remember doing something around, like just talking to some people in the SME, in the SME sector um, recently about, you know, these issues. And it's quite interesting to see how differently SMEs have been affected, right? On the one hand, you have a company like Yoko. Yoko is the one that makes the little um, swiping devices that people may have come into contact with um, when they're doing their shopping. Yoko has about 80,000 small businesses and merchants using its platform in South Africa, right? And in early April, they actually reported, put out some data showing the fact that just as with um, the announcement of the lockdown came into came into effect, they saw like a spike, a huge spike, 50-60% increase in transactions for people, especially in the retail, retail area, beauty, maybe health a little bit. But the moment that we went into lockdown, across the board, they were seeing 80 to 90% drops in transactions for the merchants on their platform, right? So, it, yeah. So it means as a platform, as a payment system with 80,000 people sitting on your system, 80,000 businesses using your system for payments, you see a 90% drop in transactions across the board. So it means that somewhere in the world, you've got somewhere in South Africa, you've got all those businesses whose transaction volumes have come down on average by 90%. And now you're thinking about if each little business, let's say is uh, you have one person, right? That's 80,000 people. But if each little business has maybe like a team of maybe two or three people, you know, working in that business, maybe a shop clerk, maybe a manager in the back or whatever, right? You're already talking to an impact on 200,000 plus people, right? Um, so it's been really bad, you know, from that point of view. And I think, you know, the best is to just let the people operate. Like, to be honest, the biggest problem with the lockdowns is they've really shown what the biggest problem with capitalism is, right? Mm. The fact that without trading or without activity happening, if the hamster is not running on the wheel, literally the lights switch off. That is, <laughs> I, I, I've always been a proponent of uh, capitalism. I'm not shy about that because yeah. in terms of systems, socialism, uh, communism, etc., it's the one that's proved to work. Mm-hmm. But I also recognize the faults in capitalism and the lockdowns have proved the biggest faults in capitalism. The fact that guys, people need to stay at home around the world to flatten the curve. Mm. The less people move around, the less the disease is going to spread and naturally it will, die, it will die out. But quite literally, people can't afford to stay home. That is the problem with capitalism. So on the other side of that is the fact that there have been small businesses. I was talking to an interesting business. Uh, I'm going to just name drop here. Uh, they're called the Beauty on Tap, right? You can find them on Instagram, Beauty on Tap. They do like a lot of you know, hair care and beauty products for for ladies and stuff like that. And I was talking to their, their, their founder recently and she was saying that business has been good, right? Because uh, your salons are closed. So a lot of ladies, for example, are trying to do their own hair or take care of their hair at home, right? So they've been seeing a massive spike 
in their business, right? The danger then is, as a business, if you see a spike like that now, do you quickly move and start ramping up your production and opening an office, whatever, or do you sort of wait for things to slow down so that you can see whether or not the new interest is going to be permanent or whether it was just in reaction to the fact that people aren't allowed to go to the salons? Yeah, when people are allowed to go to the salons, does that does that mean that they'll still be purchasing from Beauty on Tap at that level? Or is some of that demand going to come down as people go back to their hairdressers and stuff like that? So that's on, that's the second bit. The third one I want to highlight is the township economy. From the data I've seen, the township economy has been good. Right? In terms of SMEs, in terms of, you know, when we talk SMEs, it's so broad. Mm-hmm. But in the informal sector, in the township economy, you know, it's been all right. And when I say it's been all right, I'm not saying they haven't seen uh, a hit in business. It's just that it hasn't been to the extent that um, merchants in more upscale parts of town have had, right? There's an interesting um, company I interacted with, I've interacted with in the past. They're called a to pay. So basically, A to Pay has developed is a fintech platform, and they've developed these terminals together with uh, uh, to the, with the Jobs Fund. So basically, they have these terminals. You go to a uh, you go to um, a Spaza shop. You put one of these computer terminals inside, and it's able to track uh, you know revenues. It's able to track sales. You know, and it's able to help puzzle shop owners to know what they have in stock, what they don't have in stock. And if certain products come down, they can alert their supplier to say that you need this. It calculates profits on a real-time basis for, you know, a puzzle shop. So all of that stuff, it's helping them. And they're able to get, you know, real-time information about the state of their business. I went to Umlazi earlier this year with A2Pay. And it's it's amazing what's going on in you know what's going on in some of these puzzle shops. Some of these puzzle shops are doing a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand rand a month. Not no. a, month, <laughs> a month. If I was to sh- and when I say a puzzle shop, I'm not talking like some fancy. No, I'm talking like a normal puzzle shop. Um, a, a normal like a container, small what what yeah. So. <laughs> Um, A2Pay was able to then share with me that um, f- because they have about 1,800, close to 2,000 um, spousal shop owners that use their system around the Western Cape, Houting, and KwaZulu-Natal. And for them, their payment transactions have only gone down by like 20 to 30%, right? And they've actually seen increase because... The biggest problem has been spousal shop owners that have had to close down are the ones that had that were selling hot food, mm. right? But for everything else, because you can't go and get airtime because of restrictions, you can't go get airtime and buy electricity at pick and pay or go to town. Your spousal shop is now the go-to place for like everything. So they've seen increases in people buying airtime, people buying electricity, uh, people paying for you know, for some of their bills. Uh, that's where you go to get, you know, some of the small items. Though you have problems getting new stock because of restrictions, 
you know, it's been good from, you know, that point of view. So this thing of SMEs, it's, it's been hard on SMEs, but not, it's not equal. Like you have to drill down to say which part of the SME sector are you talking about? So would you say the big corporations have taken the bigger knock? Because I've been reading about, you know, these, these, you know, companies not being able to pay salaries and and I I don't buy that. I think I <laughs> <laughs> I really don't buy that. You can't be a multinational employing over a hundred people, and just from one month of lockdown, all of a sudden your your coffers are dry. No man, please. I so, so and, <laughs> it's a scam. So, but but I, I on 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 these big companies would would you say they have taken a knock because i've been hearing stories i mean about obviously retrenchments people taking half pays um people you know not not getting the like um you know um what do you call the the um where they they don't pay for your medical aid they don't pay for your retirement and all those things would you say the the effects of COVID nineteen are, are are bigger in 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 big companies? I think the oh or or it's all a a money saving approach. <laughs> Every, okay, fine. Yes, <laughs> yes. On the one on listen. On the one hand, definitely, companies are trying to preserve cash. That goes without saying. Like, cash is king in this market. No one wants to take on extra debt. No one wants to spend more than they have to. Right? That's one. Two, you, you have to think about a company the same way you think about yourself. Right? Yes, big multinationals, especially, especially multinationals, multinationals are in a much better position. But a big corporate, I want to contrast um, multi-choice and, uh, and com air, just as an example, right? I'm not, I'm not an expert on either of these two companies, but if you think about it, right? Yeah. Com air probably had money on hand for maybe three, four months of expenses. Right, because you have to think about yourself. Think about yourself, and then think about an organization. Because that's exactly it's the the, the same economics are at play. If you personally don't go to work, right, for the next three months, how much money do you have in your bank account <laughs> to still pay rent, DSTV, school fees, whatever you spend your whatever your expenses are your expenses because yeah. your expenses don't go away, mm. right? If you're calm air. And airplanes are down, right? And this is why I th- this is why I think Com Air went into business rescue. I don't think the business is necessarily dead. I think when the skies are opened, we could see a return to the skies of Kulula and British Airways, mm-hmm. right? But for now, the fact that Kulula and British Airways are not flying, right? But you have to keep paying workers, your building leases, electricity, water, because your expenses don't go away they stay they don't go on lockdown your expenses don't go on lockdown but your customers on lockdown so your income generation is now zero but your expenses are still out there which makes sense uh why certain companies decide 
we need to fold or go into business rescue because business rescue gives them protection to say until they can operate again, right? They get protection from their creditors, the people that they owe money to, right? So the truth is for a lot of companies, it's like a house of cards, guys. Mm-hmm. Like for a lot of companies, they literally just have money on hand. Some of these companies are literally living yeah, hand to mouth. To, the way which is that. why capitalism is a scam. You are right. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I want to I want to draw a parallel to multi choice. Multi choice has like I'm trying to remember the exact numbers, but multi choice has about four to six billion rand in cash. All right, cash. Sheesh. Right. Cash. Yeah. During the lockdowns, people did not stop paying for DSTV. So they're still able to generate revenues. They have done a lot, free channels, uh, started giving free access to online education courses, all of that stuff. The trap for a multi-choice is the expenses have risen. Right? Revenue, I think, has more or less stayed the same, slightly down, but the expenses have shot out the window because of two big factors. One, your television productions can't continue. But your crews, your writers, your cameramen still need to be paid. One. Sport can't happen anymore. <laughs> but your television crews, etc., still need to be paid. And Multitrace actually gave out, uh, they actually dedicated 80 million rand just to make sure that they would continue paying uh, staff and workers for sport and their productions for uh, March and April, even though the productions had to be shut down, right? So Multitrace's experiences have gone up hard. They, they have gone up. Even all these value-added products, someone has to pay for this stuff. The free education, you know, 600 courses on Udemy, all of that stuff. Someone has to pay that stuff. They are subsidizing their users, right? They're subsidizing their employees. But they have four to six billion rand in cash on their books. So they can absorb it for now. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think a lot of companies are sitting. They are sitting there calculating and saying, if I don't have revenue for X amount of time, how long can the what's in the bank sustain me for. And some companies are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel as just three months. Mm. And they are scared, which is why there's been so much pressure to open the economy. And I would understand why you think capitalism is a scam. And <laughs> I, I just want to talk about the, the, the transition that we're going into as the lockdown eases further and um, a possible you know, return to full economic um, activity in the next few weeks. Are we in a recession? What does this mean about, you know, our fiscus, you know, employment stats? What does the, the, the future sort of like lockdown, post-lockdown, basically? Um, one of the things I've personally been pushing in the last couple of weeks is I think we need a more compassionate form of economics, right, in the world. Uh, 
as much as I said just now that we, you know, I've always been a supporter of capitalism, just, you know, it is what it is, right? This is the one time when capitalism just needs to have a heart, right? <laughs> and, uh, and when you see what's going on in the US, when you see what's going on in Europe, what's going on in South Africa, the stimulus packages, the aid that government is giving to uh, people in the in the country, like the COVID nineteen temporary employee employer relief scheme, um, you know UIF in the states, the stipend, the one thousand two hundred dollars that's being given to Americans, all of that stuff. That's what I mean by a more compassionate form of, of economics is just understanding that your people just can't make the money. So your demands of them, right? You can't expect the same from them and you need to help them one way or the other. That's the first thing. The second thing is one of the things that COVID-19 has really brought to the fore, at least in economic circles, is how unfair global finance is, right? Think if, if you follow developments, you'll know that in America, their stimulus package is about two trillion dollars. Yeah. Plus. Yeah. Right. I've heard up to I've heard uh, numbers talking to people in the states. I've heard numbers as much as seven trillion. What? Right. And what you need to be aware of is seven trillion dollars. Okay, let's use two. That's the official number. If we use two two trillion dollars, that's about thirty-five trillion rand equivalent. In South Africa, it's been a 500 billion rand response. That's the stimulus that government is giving. 370, 370 billion of which has to be borrowed either locally or internationally from people like the IMF, etc. But government needs to finance hmm. that portion. And when I say COVID-19 has brought to the fore how unfair things are because the South African government has to borrow that 370 billion rand from somewhere. But the US government is printing its two trillion. Right? I thought that was not allowed. You can't, can you just, no, no, it's, not, it's not about it being allowed. It's not about it being allowed or not allowed. It's about uh, what does it mean for supply and demand? The biggest danger with printing money, right? And everyone always talks about the Zimbabwean example is the fact that when you print money, increase your money supply. When you increase your money supply, you have, in economics, they say you have too much money chasing too few goods. So the prices of things go up, right? Inflation, the biggest risk to printing money is inflation. So it's not about, it's not allowed. It's about do you want inflation? <laughs> you know? Economic principles. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because governments are printing money all the time, right? But to the extent of $2 trillion in money just being printed, right? And the big thing that the, that the U.S. government takes advantage of it because they're doing what they did in 2008 to bail out all the etc. is all of us around the world have so much confidence in the u.s dollar that even if the u.s prints two trillion dollars of new money they will unlikely see inflation mm. if an african country prints money 
that inflation, the exchange rate, it's late. And that just shows you how unfair, you know, thing, uh, how unfair some of these things are. The US dollar is the world's reserve currency. So there's a lot of people that hold it to a, to a certain um, standard. That hold it to a certain, you know, whereas, you know, in African countries, you don't have that luxury. Yeah. Right. And that luxury is um, the biggest problem because the US is literally doing everything that it tells that the IMF or the World Bank tells African countries not, not to, to do. do. Yeah. Right. The bullies. Yes. But <laughs> but it works for them, right? Mm. On top of everything else, unfortunately, US interest rates have been very low for the last couple for like almost a decade, near zero percent. So unlike South Africa, South Africa, Governor Lesesha Kanyago and his team have been lowering interest rates, right? Let's talk As about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about this lowering of interest rates. I mean, at this stage, we mm. we're talking two hundred and fifty point basis. Mm. Is I, I was asking um, someone is like, to what extent will these rates be lowered? I mean, it's the lowest I was reading. It has been since um, apartheid or something like that. And I was asking about the potential economic um, you know, detriment of that. And I was told, actually, it's the best thing. So I just wanted us to, to, to quickly tackle you know, life post COVID-19 and how the recovery process will work in terms of you know, businesses coming back to life, um, however, on the other side, people are losing jobs. Um, companies, you know, have lost revenue. How, how does the new society now start working? Will we go back to how things were? Or do we have to figure out a new mechanism to, 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 to sort of like keep the wheel going? Well, at this point, I think the big thing is everyone has accepted the fact that we're going to see a contraction around the world. And to your earlier point, yes, we are, by the end of this year or whatever, we are definitely in a recession. Because usually a recession is two, you know, um, two consecutive quarters of economic contraction, right? And we're likely going to see a big cut for, uh, you know, March to June you know, April, May, June. And unless things get that much better, we're likely to see, you know, a possible, you know, making those gains is tough. So I think recession is definitely on the cards. The second one is in terms of interest rates, interest rates just act to reduce the cost of borrowing or what people call the cost of money. So when the MPC or the Monetary Policy Committee makes this decision, your rationale is that if you lower the interest rate, then it makes the cost of borrowing less, which means you and I are paying less in terms of uh, mortgages, car loans, stuff like that. And if you're paying less in interest and all of that stuff, some people have actually estimated that with the current, uh, with the current drop in, uh, in interest rates, that's there. You know, someone was paying, I can't even remember the numbers, but something like a 20-year mortgage 
that would normally have someone paying maybe two or three thousand rand that person now has an extra maybe um seven eight hundred rand in their pocket because interest of you know interest rates have come down so you create money from that point of view so it's a good thing you know from being able to you know ease the pressure on consumers because you reduce the amount of money you spend in terms of your loans and you can have extra money to do something else. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why it's been a good thing from that point of view. Going forward as a third point, definitely it can't be, it's never going to be business as usual, right? For a couple of reasons. The first one is even though you're still opening up your economy, um, at least in South Africa for the next, I don't know, how long level three really lasts for. It depends how it lasts for. But there's a whole section of the economy, what we highlighted in the beginning. Entertainment, um, entertainment events, gatherings. Uh, yeah, entertainment events, Tourism. gatherings, restaurants, all of those still not open. So you have a whole section of people that are not there. The danger going forward is as much as people want to get out, until there is a, a vaccine or a cure, you're slowly building new cultures into people, right? If restaurants open, what, what, are, are you guaranteed that people will view restaurants the same way they always did back in the day? Or have we trained ourselves to naturally start social distancing? Are we going to go back to crowded nightclubs, to, you know, um, stadiums with 70,000 people inside them, you know? Or are we going to now favor more spaced out, you know, situations? So all of that reimagining, you know, comes to the fore because it's been, it's been a lot of social distancing that, is being, that we're training ourselves on and businesses are going to have to start thinking about how they adapt to themselves. You know, if you're a restaurant that used to seat a hundred people inside, right? Even if all restrictions are lifted, you might want to give the impression of more space, you know, in, inside your restaurant, maybe now start seating 60 to 80 people instead so that, you know, people feel like they have the space to breathe and, you know, things like that. Yeah. And speaking about businesses, uh, this is um, leaning towards my last question. There has been a lot of um, reliance on technology. Um, And obviously, I mean, technology was a big thing before COVID-19. And I think now we are just getting to a point where we are relying on it even more. We have to reimagine also how we use it because we need to create it or sort of like use it in a way that makes us income depending on the industry that we're working in and you know now takeouts deliveries um payments um transactions um you know interviews like we're doing now everything is is, it's not a a matter of choice that's what i'm trying to say is the use of technology post-COVID-19 is not going to be a choice anymore. It's going to be the way in which we do business. 
what are the sort of like tech, um, you know, businesses, um, projects that you could see emerging as, as, as victors um, of post-COVID-19 where innovation is concerned. It can be anything because I'm literally seeing how, you know, life is now no longer an interpersonal exchange. Is if you're connected, if you have a device, that's how we're going to go forward. And, 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 and just lifestyle around technology, how is that going to change? Well, video game companies are the first ones that are going to benefit. Uh-huh. And if uh, NASPAS in South Africa has anything to, to, to look at, that's a good example. Um, yeah, that's a good example of, uh, of that because NASPAS has been one of the few companies that has been trading up during the lockdowns because they hold 30% in what is literally the biggest gaming company in the world, which is Tencent in China, right? So home entertainment is definitely going to be a winner. Um, you know, coupled with that, you've seen that Netflix has been able to, Netflix had a record quarter in the past, had a record past quarter, added like 15 million people to its service, right? Because everyone is at home and they all need to be entertained, right? So they've been very good on that end. At the same time, I'm pretty sure that uh, a DSTV would have, you know, done well. Some people either coming on or some people reactivating their, their subscriptions. Um, that's another one. Um, the other one is, you know, following where the money is going is um, online food delivery because Bolt, other, that used to be known as Taxify, they recently got, uh, this, past, this week, in fact, they got a new investment of 100 million euros, which is close to 2 billion rand um, in, in new funding. And a lot of it is uh, dedicated towards developing some of the newer business models because Bolt recently started delivering food in Cape Town, for example. They operate in a bunch of countries, but South Africa is the biggest market in Africa, you know, for them. So a lot of the money is going to come here to develop some of those new models uh, because your drivers, Bolt has 10,000, has like about 10,000 drivers in the country, right? So they need to keep those people happy or else those people will jump ship to Uber Eats or, you know, Mr. Delivery and stuff like that. Related to that is, I think, because uh, people weren't able to go to retail locations, just online retail as a whole is going to be a good one. If you are a business or a merchant, right, people over the lockdown were sort of... Uh, got a crash course in online shopping, right? And now everyone's going to expect that online, that online option because remember what I said just now about the restaurants, right? Are people going to return to malls the way that, you know, they, 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 they always have? So if you're a retailer, if you're a shop of some sort, having that e-commerce uh, that e-commerce factor, I think right now it's, uh, you know, you, you can't go wrong, you know, on that end. And then I'm trying to think of, 
And I, yes, actually, there's a couple more. If you can teach people something online, you're in a very good space. You know, because online education, a lot of parents, for example, are very skeptical about sending their kids back to school. A lot of people have taken this time to learn new skills, you know. So all of those factors, if you can get online and teach people something or you have an online course of some sort, then this is, this is definitely the time. The other emerging one, which I don't know how it's going to work out, is we saw a lot of people doing these Instagram lives, uh, especially artists, performing artists, because they couldn't have live shows. But slowly we've started seeing um, companies coming to the fore. I recently spoke to, there's a startup called Send It. And think of, they are doing two things. They're doing streaming and they're doing video conferencing. And on the streaming side is basically, if you are a person that needs people, like for example, if you're a fitness instructor or a yoga, a yoga instructor, who hasn't been able to get people into the building, you can have streams. Or if you're an artist, you can have streams. And what's unique about their service is people have to pay to access the stream, right? So the person makes a choice about whether they want their stream to be free or paid, right? So that's an avenue stream that's being created mm. uh, on that end. And Ticket Pro. Right, we all know the Ticket Pro in Johannes, the Ticket Pro Dome in Johannesburg, where all the concerts happen, and that place has been closed for the last two to three months. And they actually came out with a new platform called uh, COVID Zero, where artists can go and do live performances that are paid for, and then they then put give the money to artists because artists need to be generating money somehow, and with the proliferation of uh, you know, free content online. A lot of artists have relied on live performances and live sets to make their money. Mm. So I'd say those are some of the ways in which technology is being used. The other interesting one, I never even thought this would be a thing. Yeah. But if you're a real estate, if you're in the real estate business, an agent or something, right? Virtual home tours. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> virtual home tours. It's uh, it's an emerging it's an emerging part of the market. Um, there's a company called Red Hat in the in in the United States that was just talking about how these virtual home tours have become quite popular because people, yeah, sure you can't go view a house, but it doesn't mean that your dream to own a house is you know, sort of gone. Gone, gone down the yeah. drain too. I've actually, yeah. speaking on that point, I was, I was um, talking to a, a real estate agent and he was telling me that he's, he's been the busiest ever during lockdown because everyone has time. Everyone can now start, you know, chilling and dreaming <laughs> about their dream home. They go on and, and they make inquiries. And, and there's been quite a lot of, you know, motivated by the, 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 in interest rate drops, people have been, you know, encouraged to buy more. So yeah. it's been it's been a good time for 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 the the, the real estate um industry. Yeah. But what and I then, yeah you okay, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I was going to say on the same tip, the last one, which I think is the most obvious one, because 
of uh, the platform that we are on right now video conferencing guys like <laughs> zoom zoom is doing so well right now despite some of its security vulnerabilities it's doing so well right now um and you see how well they're doing because of the response that some of its competitors have um you know started having like google google has started making um google meet its equivalent software free now right but they've won up zoom because uh, zoom allows you to have i think a 40 minute call on its free option right but google meet is allowing an hour mm-hmm. um, on their on, on their free option so all of these you know bits you know of competition coming out in the in the video conferencing space and you also see it in the mobile space because nobody knew what house party was for the until until literally lockdown. five weeks ago lockdown <laughs> <laughs> yeah my my last question is for is for again the young people you know the the budding entrepreneurs um you know people trying to 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 figure out life you know post covid-19 or post lockdown how to make an income how to manage and sustain the income they they're making what are your top 3 tips or top five, whatever you can think of from the top of your head that can help a young person be on their A game when it comes to finances during this pandemic? Um, I, can just, I can think of four things. Uh, the first one, have a budget. Like it sounds very basic, but just have a, a real and honest budget. Like what do you actually spend your money on what do you need to spend your money on what can you spend your money on right that's the first one the second one is in making this budget allow yourself to have some breathing room to to have uh, some type of savings right use this opportunity of not having to go out not you know going to restaurants not going to movies not popping bottles um, not having to buy that much fuel, you know, all of that. Use that as a cushion to say, okay, I'm going to save, you know, this money in whatever way that I can. Because it's a lot of the trap that people get into a lot of the time is that when you save money on one thing, you want to spend it on something else. <laughs> so if you find yourself not spending money on fuel, you save the money, save your fuel money. It doesn't mean that you can now go and take a lot and buy that pair of shoes. No, stop it. Like, don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and then the third one is if you're a business owner of some sort, separate out your finances. You know, if it means opening up a second account, a second basic account or something, but just separate your money. You know, you need to, if you do get into the content creation game or, you do start, you know, some some business because of COVID nineteen, and you start making some money. Don't let your finances just mesh into each other. Your 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 personal finances and your business finances. Just you know, separate them out. And then the last one is have some goals. You know, yeah. I think that's uh, that's 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 been a good one for for me personally. 
And when I say goals, I mean have a saving goal of of course, like by the end of this year, I want to have saved X amount, right? But at the same time, also have some goals of how you're going to spoil yourself, you know? Because the the nature of human beings, it's like there's a reward system in place. It can't all just be take, 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 because you're going to think it's work, 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 and that's going to make you less motivated. So if you give yourself goals like, okay, um, I'm earning X amount, and if I'm able to save 10,000 Rand um, in the next four months, when I get to 10,000 Rand, then I'm going to allow myself to buy this item for 2,000 Rand, you know? And then after, you know, keep yourself, you know, motivated because you need a carrot and stick. People, human beings like, you know, something to work towards. And I think that definitely um, helps in terms of the finances. And then like the companies, I know I said four, but I'm just thinking about uh, five and six. Mm-hmm. Like the companies, conserve your cash. Like wherever you can, conserve your cash. And if you can renegotiate rent amounts, if you can renegotiate insurance amounts, for example, I haven't done this yet, but I've really been thinking about this, right? My car is sitting there. My risk profile has changed for my car for the last two to three months, right? Because I don't go to the office, I haven't been to the office for the last two months. It sits for like four out of seven days in a week, right? So your risk profile for an insurance company has gone down. Like you are no longer the same. The chances of me getting into a car accident, of my car being stolen, my car getting damaged, you know, a tree falling onto my car, whatever it is, right? It's changed because your life has changed. If you can find ways to renegotiate some of those expense items that you have, that might give you some some extra money um, on the side. And then the last one, read some books, educate yourself. One of our biggest scourges in society is the fact that people just don't know enough about finances.